Hey, let's get into the Word of God here. Just for time reasons, uh, we're, we've got about 39, 40 minutes. I'm just going to take it a verse at a time as we go down through the end of the psalm here. I want to start, though, by reading the first verse of the psalm, which laid out there to remind us what this psalm is about and what we looked at the last few weeks. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, and he said. And so this was when David was delivered from his enemies and Saul. And we talked about the fact that it seems here on the Psalms that this was written in conjunction when David was delivered from Saul after that 10-year exile. And in that 10-year exile from Saul, actually he was delivered from Saul's hand multiple times. We also see this part of this psalm being reiterated at the end of 2 Samuel. I believe it's 2 Samuel 22 where you get about half of this psalm. And so the question comes, well, when did he actually sing this song? At the end of his life when he realized I'm completely delivered. Saul had been dead though for 40 years. Or each time and each deliverance from Saul at the end of exile. And the answer that I concluded with, he sang it at all those times. He gave praise to the Lord. On every occasion, he gave praise to God. Now, maybe every time it wasn't all 50 verses here, but it's something that David acknowledged the delivering hand of God and how God loves those that will humble their hearts before him and put their faith in him to be their God. And so the first 35 verses, we, we considered you know, the praise that, God, uh, that David gave to the Lord, the, the recounting God's faithfulness, recounting how the Lord strengthened him. We've seen this word, I will, that phrase come up. We'll see it again tonight. I will comes up several times because it's David rejoicing in what God had done and how he praised God and trusted in God and, and, and God was faithful. And then his I will was basically him saying, I'm going to continue to do this. I will continue to love the Lord. I will continue to trust in the Lord. I will continue to love the Lord. And we talked about the importance of that, of rejoicing in what God has done and what God is doing, but also be being in that place in our heart where it's a non-negotiable, I know my path is going to be to love the Lord, to trust the Lord, to call on the Lord, and to walk with the Lord all my days. And it's, it's, I don't even waver in that. And I think we need to be in that place. I think too oftentimes we waver because we make concessions. Well, we'll see what tomorrow holds. And yeah, I'm walking with the Lord today, but you know, something else might come along, or if this certain temptation comes upon, comes along, then perhaps, and I often think, so, think about Daniel, and we talked about him, how as a young man, he was being taken into Babylon, and he was very skilled and gifted and knew he'd be brought in to be trained by the king, and he purposed in his heart beforehand he was going to partake of any of the king's delicacies that went against the Levitical law. It was like, I will, or I will not do that. And that's an area we want to be growing in, of I will walk with the Lord, and I will not do A, B, C, and D over here. It's a non-negotiable. Even when it comes up, I'm not even going to consider it because I don't do that. So let's start here in verse 36, and again, he's praising the Lord and the victory that God gave him. And <clears throat> he says here, you enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. And indeed, the Lord Christ has called us to a narrow path. Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And we are called to through a narrow gate and a narrow way. And you hear that and it sounds like, yeah, I get through this gate and then, you know, I'm walking on the, sometimes people paint pictures of stuff, I'm walking along the cliff and so forth and, 
And the narrow way that he's talking about, obviously, is himself. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's a narrow gate, because only Christ dealt with the issues of sin at the cross of Calvary, which we just talked about in communion. And so he calls us through this narrow gate unto himself. Again, salvation only comes one way through faith in Christ and what he's done for us. But from there, we go through this narrow way. But once we come through that way and come to faith in him, he, he, he enlarges our path. Now, this isn't enlarging it and making concession for things outside of what he has for us. But this is enlarging it in that he calls us through that narrow gate. And then the things he calls us to he wants to empower us. There's nothing that he calls us to do that he won't empower us to do and be faithful to aid us in doing those things when we put our faith in him. So yes, we go through a narrow gate, but I thought about John the Baptist, how he fulfilled the prophecies there said about him in Isaiah of how it says there in Luke 3 about his coming that Luke 3, 4, and 5, it says, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Every valley uh, fill." Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. And, and David's painting this picture. Yes, we go through a narrow gate, but the Lord then enlarges our path so we don't fall off the cliff. Or, or you know, we don't uh, get in danger so that our feet don't slip. And along that path, we might stumble. Anyone stumble along that path? Anyone ever, you know... The pothole's not even there, but we just trip over our own feet. And we may stumble, but notice here, my feet did not slip. And my mind went there to John 10, 27 through 29, where the Lord talks about us never being snatched out of his hands or the Father's hands. And so we might stumble, but we're never going to slip out of his hands when we put our faith in him to be our Lord and Savior. And so the emphasis on here is the glory to God. He enlarges my, enlarged my path. So my feet did not slip. And indeed, we come to, to relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We go through that narrow gate. And then the Lord says, now let's enlarge your path because you're not going to slip out of my hands. I got you in my hands. And that's good news for us. Verse 37, I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again until they were destroyed. And David, we know that he was a man of war. And the war that he waged, he, he was involved in some scuffles that he got corrected in. But for the most part, the, wages, the wars that he waged were upright wars that had to do with God establishing Israel and dealing with the enemies of Israel that were trying to destroy not only Israel, but the promise of the coming Messiah. Now, we're in a place where our enemies aren't flesh and blood. They're just not. And uh, I saw a little clip the other day, of, and, and, and you know, a lot of times I'm real critical of, of liberal politics, but I saw something from the Republican National Convention where this guy came up to pray and basically said, Hillary Clinton's our enemy. And he prayed to God against his enemy, Hillary Clinton. And I'm thinking, that's a messed up woman who should probably be in prison right now. Uh, I agree, Hillary for prison 2016. <laughs> She's a puppet, but our, this is a pastor. Our enemy's not flesh and blood, but it's powers and principalities. And I say that on the authority of Scripture. Now, again, that woman's, I, I pretty much detest everything she represents and stands for because it's so anti-Christ and anti-biblical. And I'm not over here saying, but all this I'm, I'm for. Probably agree with a lot more over here than over there, but definitely not with everything over here, if that makes sense. 
But our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's powers and principalities. And, and this is to make an application to us. David pursued his enemies and he overtook them. And notice here, he said, I didn't turn back until they were destroyed. And I think oftentimes when it comes to spiritual warfare, we're good at being on the defensive in the sense of God protect us from this and God protect us from that. And indeed he does. And you look at, uh, you know, at Ephesians 6 where it talks about the armor of God. And it goes through all this, this gear that is representative of, of defense and so forth. You know, with the helmet and the shield of faith and so forth, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth and whatnot. But there's two offensive weapons there, the word of God, the sword, which is the sword of the spirit and prayer. And I, I, I think at times we're too defensive. We got to remember God has called us to be offensive. And I know more recently in my prayer, I caught myself continually praying, Lord, protect us from the evil one. And it was like the Lord laid on my heart and it's a biblical word. I'm protecting you, but you need to be praying these things get torn down. It's time to go on the offensive, son. And David here is not fleeing. David's pursuing the enemy. You know, tear down the strongholds, O Lord. Not just protect us, O Lord, but tear these things down. Tear down the strongholds in my life and so forth. Understanding, you know, in Ephesians, Paul prayed for those in Ephesus that they would understand the might and power that God has towards those who believe in him. He's given us mighty weapons in prayer and mighty weapons in the word of God. The enemy cannot stand against the word of God. Jesus Set that example when he was tempted there in the wilderness and with the word of God, he put the enemy down three times over. Notice here, he says, neither did I turn back until they were destroyed. David had a call on his life to be king of Israel and God mightily expanded the territory of Israel and he understood that and he walked in that call. And I think too often times as followers of Christ, we quit too soon. We grow weary too soon. Uh, in, in, the, in the call to walk with the Lord, and I think even more so in the call to engage in ministry and spiritual warfare, and saying, I am a soldier for Christ, and I have been called to serve the Lord. Uh, Matthew eleven twelve came to my mind, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffer vi suffers violence, and violent the violent taken by force. This is Jesus. Now, is he saying to go blow stuff up? No. The violence he speaks of here is a fervent spirit, a face set like a flint, um, understanding we've been called to run the race, to finish well, not to grow weary in doing good, to pray without ceasing. And, and I'll tell you, the more years you stack up, and I talk about this time to time in walking with the Lord in a ministry, it's sad how you see people come and go. And you know, the other day, someone's name came up. And where's that guy at? And this and that. And there was a time when this in, in, individual, and I don't know his heart, but this individual for three or four years was involved in this fellowship here and so being used by the Lord and so forth. And then some little issue came up and, and he quit going to church. Do you understand issues are going to come up in church? You, 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 everyone understands that, right? And the question is, are you going to work through that issue? Are you going to be real with the, the Lord, real with yourself? Real with the situation, want to take real biblical counsel. And this person didn't want to do this. And not only is this person, you know what, not in fellowship anywhere or anything. I mean, they're completely back out in the world. And I'll tell you in that three, five-year stand, I'm thinking, man, this, this guy's being used by the Lord. And start thinking about it, man. People come and go. 
pastors come and go. I have so many, it, it's rare. I've, I've been a senior pastor almost 20 years. Uh, in October 98 is when I started being the senior pastor of this church and was a youth pastor for some years before that. There's not a lot of pastors the last 20 years. And I'm not saying I'm, I, I'm Iron Man because I got a long way to go. By the grace of God, I'll be able to finish well. But it's crazy how many guys I've seen come and go and guys that are not even in the pulpit, they're not even in fellowship. Because the enemy, listen, he wages a war of attrition to try to grind us down, to try to wear us down. And David here said, listen, I'm going to pursue and I'm not going to turn back until my enemies are destroyed, but it's a mindset that we have to take on and knowing that the Lord's with us to the end. And praise God, aren't you glad Jesus finished his race all the way to the cross for us? And so he's already set the course for us. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't done, and he's not asking us to do anything that he won't walk with us every step along the way to walk in. And so tonight, maybe you feel like dropping out of the race or taking a detour for a while, and you're like, well, I'll get back on. I'll take this off-ramp, and I'm going to get back on over there. Listen, it doesn't always work out that way. Stay the course. Let the Lord enlarge your path. Bring those things before him that are wearing you down. And understand there's a bigger issue at hand. It's, it's the souls of individuals and people coming to know Christ and glorifying him and living a life unto him. <clears throat> Verse 38, I have wounded them so that they cannot rise. They have fallen under my feet. And so David wounded his enemies physically. Well, how do we wound our enemy spiritually? And again, prayer, absolutely. Persistence. Pursuing Jesus Christ, having our minds renewed through the word of God. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He goes on to talk about dying to self. And then he says in verse 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. So he is coming in his glory. We need to keep that before us. He's coming in his glory. I take up my cross daily, and I'm not ashamed of the word of God or Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we walk in who we are, listen, the enemy, and I'm not trying to make light of the enemy or say something in a manner, you know, like the fools do there in Jude, and and where it says, Michael, the archangel said, though the Lord rebuke you. But I know this, that when we start recognizing who we are and we start walking in that, the enemy doesn't like that. And he's trying to, again, wage a war of attrition to wear us down, and you see it. You see our culture, how doctors have been worn down, and if you start studying the, the trends from the early, late, late 1800s, early 1900s, how the enemy has just tried to war down, wear down, wear down solid, fundamental Bible teaching, and man, he's wore it down. Well, our response should be is, listen, I'm going to wage that war of attrition right back, and day after day, day after day, but... Satan's done a really good job shaping a we-want-it-now society. And it gives way for easy believism where I said this prayer, now I'm saved, versus is Jesus Christ really your Lord? And it also gives way to a, a term that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coin tonight, easy quitism. It's really the parable of the seeds where the seeds fall on, you know, the thorny and the shallow soil the rocky soil and you know the thorny soil they rejoice but as soon as the cares of the world comes in they're choked out and then the 
the rocky soil. They rejoice, but there's no root there. There's nowhere for it to go. They're not rooted in the Lord. And uh, we've been called again to, to, to a long run and to have that heart like a good soldier of Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You look at the life of David, you see him as a little boy serving the Lord. You see him uh, a young man serving the Lord. He steps out of faith, slays Goliath. He's on 10 years of exile. At 30, he becomes king for 40 years. And he had some ups and downs, but he always came the Lord saw him through. We're going to have some ups and downs as well, but he waged the war of attrition. And I'll tell you, man, we need, we need to, to have that heart that says, I want to finish well. And I don't want to go the way. And again, I'm not judging anyone's heart. I don't know the heart. But I mean, how many people do you know that at one time were on fire for the Lord and in the word that they're just caught up in other things now? And they always seem to have that mentality. Well, I put in my time. Listen, this isn't the National Guard here that we're called to. I did my two years and I served on the weekends. No, we are called to be soldiers of Christ and it's something until we die. And when you do that, listen, strongholds get torn down and so forth. Notice here, they've fallen under my feet and I love, you know, Jesus has defeated the enemy, but listen to what Romans 16, 19 through 20 says, for your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in that, was, that which is good and simple concerning evil, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. And the war has been won, but we're waging a battle, and oftentimes in that battle, people go, I can't take the battle anymore, and the Lord's saying, listen, just hold on, I'm about to crush Satan under your feet. It's kind of the picture of the guy that, that buys the mine and, and he, he mines it, this gold mine, for three or four years and, and he gets tired and he sells it. And all it took was another feat and they were going to hit a gold vein. A vein of gold or a gold vein. But that would be really weird, a vein of gold. And, and God gives us this encouragement, press on. Day after day. Because listen, there's the reward even in just pressing on. You're like, but I'm not seeing the results forever. But there's results there in that you're pressing on. And that's greater than even any result. In fact, I think when you press on and hard ground and so forth and you're faithful, I think that gives more praise to God when it's just nothing but harvest after harvest after harvest. To be faithful in that difficult field or whatever, in that, you know what, place that you've been put in where it just seems like you're surrounded by evil and whatnot, but you say, but I'm going to press on because God's glorified. You're like, but I'm not seeing the results, but the fact you're pressing on is glorifying God. There's your result right there. That's awesome. But again, we're in an age where we have to see results and everything. And, and listen, I think the results are going to look a lot different when we stand before God than our estimation of things and evaluation of things right now on this side. Verse 39, for you have armed me with strength for the battle you have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. And again, absolutely, the Lord armed David. He strengthened David. He gifted David. He armed him with faith. He armed him with a mind to be able to have, you know, a military strategy. He armed him, obviously, to be able to be a warrior. And when we were called to Christ, we just weren't saved, but the Lord's armed us. 
Indeed, he sealed us with the Spirit of God, and he wants to empower us with the Spirit of God. Going back there to Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might put on the whole armor of God. Notice here, what's our strength? Strong in the Lord and the armor of God. David says, you've armed me and you've strengthened me for this battle. Be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God. Like, how do we put on the armor of God? Do I just pray it on? You could do that, but this is more actually applying it. The shield of faith is actually not just saying, I put on the shield of faith in Jesus' name. It is saying, I'm going to step out of faith. And, but I just buckled on the belt of truth, so now I can go deal in lies because I got the belt of truth on. No, it's walking in the truth. And the helmet of salvation. I put the helmet of salvation on my head. It's knowing you're saved and knowing how you're saved and knowing the finished work of the cross. So on and so forth. It's, it's walking in that. And notice, he subdued my enemies. I think of Colossians. I'll just say 2.15. I want to read more, but time's ticking. It talks about... Christ nailing the requirements of the law upon the cross of Calvary. And this is having disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And a battle's still waged right now, but the victory's already won in Christ. And when Christ went to the cross, he did for us what we couldn't do. And in that, he disarmed these powers and principalities that we wage war against. In other words, the Lord put his foot on their neck. It's interesting as well where it talks about uh, making a public spectacle in those days when a king would conquer another kingdom, they would take that king and oftentimes they would gouge their eyes out. They'd strip, strip them down naked. They would put shackles on them and they would parade them through the streets. And that's what this is implying that the Lord has done concerning our enemies, concerning the enemy of our soul. Now, again, he's soon to, the victory's won and he's took the deed of the earth back and he's going to open those seals when we get, you know, when the tribulation unfolds and, and at the end of this age, Satan's going to be crushed under our feet. And you say, well, why is the Lord allowing this to happen then? Why, if he's already done that, why is he allowing it? Because he loves you and he loves me is why. Because he's long-suffering. See, he could have ended at the cross of Calvary, but through the corridors of time, he knew that we were going to, you know, and he had a plan for us to come into existence and he had a plan, you know what, for, for men and women to come to get saved. And so in his love, he said, listen, I already got the victory, but we're going to let this play out longer because I want to see more people get saved. And that's what's going on right now. It's his long suffering that is causing the delay of his return. That's it. That, that, I, I said it recently, and I'll say it again. It's not the red heifer to be born. It's, it's fascinating. All the stuff the Jews have for that temple to go forth. But it's all got to be there. Listen, that's going to be a compromised temple. Do you get that? Do you, you understand the Antichrist is going to be in that temple? So the Lord says, I'm done suffering. It's time to take my, sheep, my kids home. And the red heifer still has some white hair. You know what they're going to do? They're going to go over there and they're going to pluck the white hair out. They're going to they're go, there's your red heifer. Because they're, they're compromised already. Those in Judaism, they, they're not walking in truth. Do you get that? If they were walking in truth, they'd enter through the narrow gate to come to Christ. What's going to happen to the tribulation is going to bring them into the truth because they're going to realize their Messiah, who's actually not the Messiah. See, if you got a false Messiah, it doesn't matter if you got a real red heifer or not. I think they'll get the red heifer. But it's like, yeah, well, they got the red heifer and they got all the things together, but it's the wrong Messiah. 
And that's all going to be wiped out when Christ comes back and he's going to set up a millennial, a millennial temple. And at that point, again, for a thousand years, Satan's going to be under his foot. He'll be loose for a short time and then the lake of fire forever. So God's just long-suffering, wanting people to get saved. And that should encourage us to wage the war of attrition, amen? To be a people of prayer, a people of persistence, a people in the word of God. Don't, don't get full of despair because everything going on around us. And I just want to quit because they let transgenders in the restroom at Target. So I'm just going to quit. And I don't like the different options who to vote for. And I think they're both evil, so I'm just going to quit. Listen, they're, they're, we've had it really good as a nation for over three, for the, the continent, North America, for 400 years or so. It's been a pretty good run. But we're seeing how things have been for a lot of the world since the fall of mankind. And so it's not time to take your ball and go home. It's time to say, listen, it's time to strap on the armor of God and be about the business of God. Because even in all the midst of all this, the Lord's long-suffering. Why? Because he's wanting to people, for people to get saved. And the enemy says, but I want you to go sit down out of frustration or just to start pursuing all the pleasures that everyone else is seeking and make that your, your life. And they say, well, I'm saved, but I'm doing all this stuff ahead of the Lord versus saying, I'm going to serve the Lord. And in the stuff that I'm doing, I want Jesus to be first in all of it. Verse 41, they cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. And you're like, wow, they called out to the Lord, but he didn't answer them? That doesn't sound biblical. I thought whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, if the Lord doesn't answer when someone calls out, it's because they don't answer, they don't call out with the right heart. And they cried out, Lord, help us, but they didn't call out, Lord, forgive me, or Lord, be my savior. There's a lot of people that call out to the Lord when they need help, Right? Oh, save me, Lord, and I'll serve you. And then, you know what, the car gets back on the road. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's a standard line in most sitcoms and comedies of the day, right? It's taking the Lord's name in vain. Oh, Lord, if you do this, then that. There was none to save them because they didn't cry out with the right heart. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. And David's getting descriptive here. Not only did we put our foot on their neck, but they were beat as fine as dust. And really what it's a picture of is a thorough victory that awaits the believer. David had a thorough victory over his enemies. And listen, we have a thorough victory even over the dust that he described his enemies as. Because these bodies will return to the earth as dust, but God's going to resurrect them. And it's a victory over the enemy because death came, but man listened to the enemy of his soul. And death set in and so forth. But we have total victory over death. And absolutely total victory even over dust and that God's going to resurrect these bodies. And that's going to be a glorious day. 43 down through 45, he says, you have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. Now you're like, what's all this foreigner talk? Does this mean they had a closed border around Egypt? What's going on around Israel? What's going on here? 
He's talking about the, the foreigners that wanted to come in and destroy Israel. That wanted to come in and destroy the promises of the Lord. And, and yes, there are foreigners that want, not all of them, but there are some foreigners that want to come into this country and, and destroy it and promote Islam. And you'll see applications at places in the scripture concerning a lot of these issues today. And there's a balance in those things. But David here is talking about the victory he had of the Lord and how absolutely the Lord set him up to be king over Israel, and, and he had allowed all these things to happen, for when he became king over Israel, he honored God in it. Now, yes, he had some setbacks and so forth, some stumblings, but he never slipped out of the Lord's hands, amen, like we talked about already. And so he's giving honor to praise, honor and praise to God in all of this. I notice here, he says, you delivered me out of the strivings of the people, and I read that, and I thought, Lord, I just want to be delivered out of my own strivings. We'll just start there. And part of that is being delivered from the strivings of the people because, man, there's a lot of strivings in the world today. A lot, of, a lot of striving isn't striving after the Lord. It's everything but the Lord. But they consider this as well, you know, for some application for us. You may be the head of the nations. A people I've not known shall serve me. They'll hear me and obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. Have you ever had that thought, man, if I, if I were president, I would do this and that? It's okay. You can admit it. You've had those thoughts. <laughs> if I were the president, I'd end abortion. I would defend biblical marriage. I'd put prayer back in school. I'd put the Bible back in school. Am I the only one that has those thoughts? Have you had those thoughts? Well, listen, the scripture says we're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, not four or eight. And at that time, God's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron, and it's going to be a righteous and an upright world. And so when you get frustrated with the rulers of today and even the wannabe rulers of tomorrow, as they try to, you know, put their pitches forward, and, and, and it's like, yeah, I see you saying that, but you did this before, so can I even believe you and whatnot? know that day's coming when the Lord's going to rule and reign and we're going to rule and reign with them. And I think maybe that can help us not to get bogged down with frustration and anger and understand, listen, it's a fallen world. Again, God told Adam, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And basically what he was saying there is there's going to be a separation between you and me. And, and, and at times, and most of the time, that's going to produce crooked politics and a fallen world and liars and thieves and the strivings of men. And, and God's, God's not a liar, is he? Has that not been true? <laughs> and so, granted, we're, we should be salt and light, and we should be involved in things to try to, to you know, salt preserves the, the rot, and it slows it down. And absolutely, we want to be a people who do that. But our hope's not in this world. If your hope's in this life, and you're like, we, we'll get the right person there, and we'll have hope, everything will change. Will it really? It's still a fallen world. But my life will be a little easier. Well, maybe the Lord doesn't want your life to be easier. Have you thought about that? It doesn't mean that we just concede. It doesn't mean we just say, well, we're just going to not care about our future. I mean, we need to, we need to try to be salt and light and, and, you know, make wise decisions and so forth. But it, it could just be that God says, listen, I'm, I'm just going to give you someone that's reflective of the heart of the nation. I think that's what we had the last eight years. And if you say, oh, the last eight years have been good, oh, my goodness. 
And, it, and really, the, the eight years before that weren't much better. Because the guy before this guy basically set up for this guy to come in. And man, you just talk about a, you know, I mean, when, when this guy got elected, I'm not trying to be too political as much as I despise his policy. And it's wicked. I mean, this was the only senator who voted that if a baby survives an abortion, you leave the baby there to die. You go check your records on it. That's, a, that's an evil, wicked person. But my thought was, well, you know what? At the minimum, you know what? A, a, a black man got elected, and that could be a, a wonderful thing, at least in the area of, of racial things and whatnot. And yet, oh my goodness, I think this guy's done more to divide people of different skin color than anybody in the last eight years for sure. You're like, well, what do we do with all this? We get biblically educated. You know, the Bible says we all descend from one blood. Race itself is the product of, of the theory of evolution. <laughs> it's wicked. The guy next to you, behind you, whatever, that's your cousin. The truth can set you free. How could that be my cousin? He's too white. How can that be my cousin? She's too brown. Because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve and we come from one blood. And listen, in Christ there's neither male nor female, Greek or Jew, slave or free. We're one in Jesus Christ. And that even takes it up. Now we're really one blood, right? I could say a lot more about all that. Well, you get into Planned Parenthood and Margaret Sanger statements on basically here to kill the black race, and then you got your only president ever supporting it. Oh, you're getting too political, Steve. I'm just describing the situation today and, and saying, listen, our hope's in Jesus Christ, so don't lose hope. And, and there have been people on both sides of the aisles, as I said before, the elephants and the donkeys who've, who've, I think at that level, they're just basically playing off each other, you know, but I'll digress with that. Verse 46, the Lord lives. Isn't that a, that's a good, appropriate thing. The Lord lives, exclamation point. Blessed be my rock. Is he your rock tonight? Hey, if it's your rock, then you're not in sand. You're on solid ground. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. And indeed, listen, with all this, all, all, of, all, of, all of our lessons, he's been faithful to us and he will continue to be. Notice 47, it is God who avenges me. And again, that's something else we need to have in our heart. And subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies who also lift up, lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent men. We have deliverance in Christ. We need to stand in truth, but it's not my place to have to exercise vengeance. In fact, when I do that, it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. James 1.19, so then my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, Slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And when you're just being driven by, driven by anger, I caution you, slow down. Slow your roll. <laughs> Pray and wait on it for a day before you say it, or post it, or whatever you're going to do. And then Luke 18, 7, and shall... And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? 
Now, the answer to that is absolutely yes, he'll avenge us. In fact, Jesus says, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, will the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And maybe instead of being so caught up with vengeance, we just need to be more saying, am I growing in faith of the Lord? And again, he delivered me from violent men. And again, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. We have deliverance in him. And finally here at the end, therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. So with all this, David said, I got reason to give praise and thanks, and so do we. And that's his will for us. Listen, again, even in a, in a, in a world that's, that's out of control, and it really is. I, I mean, there's stuff going on today that I'm just like, how in the world is this, is this happening? Just, just, I've talked about stuff before. There's a lot of stuff I don't talk about that is just like, oh my goodness. You know what? And, and people get their eyes fixed on that stuff and they get angry, they get disheartened. But God says, give thanks. Give praise. First Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. I can't give thanks in this presidential election. Why? The Lord said, give thanks. I have nothing to give, be thankful for. Listen, you have the freedom to go vote. There, you can start there. You have breath in your lungs. You have clothing on your back. You ate something today. His promises are still yes and amen. Last time I checked. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's his will. I need to know his will for me. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. Let's just start there, okay? And in fact, if you do those three things, you'll be amazed at how much of his will and specifics you begin to see. Like, well, I don't want that. I just want to know, you know what, these things over here. Well, start rejoicing, praying without ceasing and giving thanks and, and watch how things really begin to open up. And then verse 50, great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. And again, at the end of this, David's just rejoicing in the victory God gave him over his enemies, over Saul, giving God all the praise for it, not taking any of the credit for it. I close with this verse. See if, see if you can identify with what Paul writes here. Romans seven twenty one. I find that a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bring me in, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have deliverance. Because as much as we want to say, well, this is messed up, and that's messed up, and this is over here, listen, I'm messed up. And there's a war even waging in me, in my flesh, against my spirit. And boy, there's been times I will to do good and I've done evil. Anyone else in the room here? Or is it just me and Paul? And it's like, who's going to deliver me, wretched man that I am? I, I need to be delivered from me. Because I'm going to give an account for me. I'm not going to give an account for Hillary Clinton or George Bush or Barack Obama or these people where you're just like, oh my goodness. I'm going give to give account for me. Who's going to deliver me? Thanks, thanks to God through Jesus Christ.
Praise, thank you, Lord. You're delivering me from the wretched man that I am. And again, isn't that reason to give thanks tonight and praise and glory to his name? Lord God, we just thank you. We honor you. We thank you for this time tonight of worship. Lord, time to, to remember the work of the cross of communion. We thank you for this time in the scriptures. We just thank you, Lord, that you are king. You are ruling and reigning on high. We have confidence in you, Lord, that you are our rock, our salvation, our deliverer. Just lift our heads tonight, God, and let us stand in your truth. As I shared earlier, listen, if you don't know the Lord, today's a day of salvation. Call upon him. Call upon Jesus to be your Lord, the Lord of your life, and he'll meet you where you are. Bless the rest of our time here tonight, Lord, our fellowship, and let us just build up one another, encourage one another in you, and, and just, Lord, rejoice in you tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.